0: I want to thank you for having me over today and uh, welcoming me to this beautiful place. I heard about St. Paul's from the Boy Scouts, uh, from the Scouts uh, BSA group that I uh, went over to the headquarters last week to learn about scouting here in Pflugerville, and they shared about St. Paul's hosting the, the, the troop, if I get the terminology correct. I was not a Boy Scout, unfortunately, in my upbringing, but my I have two sons that were in the Cub Scouts for a while and really enjoyed it. But um, My name is David Peters, and, and because I'm new here and you don't really know anything about me, this is going to be probably the most autobiographical sermon you're probably ever going to hear from a pulpit, um, because it's an intensely personal text that we have before us today for me, and I'll tell you why in a second. But... I don't normally preach about like every detail of my life, but today I might do that a little bit, so that you can know who I am a little bit, um, a little bit more. Uh, the the text from the prophet Jeremiah that was read, uh, chapter one, was a text that first jumped out at me oh, many years ago. Now, when I was commissioned to be an army chaplain, when I was right after the uh, Iraq War uh, began. I knew that there would be a need for a lot of chaplains a lot of military personnel be going to Iraq and I was working at a little church in Pennsylvania as a youth minister and I'd been to seminary and all through all those hoops and I was like what do I do with my life next I'm, I'm 26 years old at the time and uh, they need chaplains so I signed up and I as, as I was getting ready that year to go to chaplain school my commissioning service at our church was uh, a sermon was preached from this text, this very words, and uh, one of the greatest preachers in the church at that time in my church preached on this text. Which my sermon will not be anything like his. This was much better, but it was a word I needed to hear. It kind of jumped out at me. You know how some of those things kind of stick with you from sermons. Now, preaching sermons is hard work. Don't get me wrong, but listening to sermons is even harder work (laughs) and you have the harder work today because you got to remember something. All the sermons we've heard in our lives, what stands out? And this sermon still stands out to me, probably not so much because of the way it was delivered or, but it was about the timing of it and the certain phrase that jumped out at me from the text of the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I'm only a boy. He says to God, when God calls him, I'm only a child. Now, Jeremiah is not a little, little boy. He's a grown man, but he's saying, I'm young. I'm not ready for this task. And he's commissioned by God. And the things that the Lord says to him, he says, do not say, I am only a boy. Well, he could preach a whole sermon right on that text. Whenever you say, I'm only this, I'm just a blank or whatever, that's probably a sign that God is calling you to something even greater. And it's hard to kind of get over that barrier ourselves when everyone else is calling and God is calling, but won't preach that sermon right now. The Lord says to him, for you shall go to all whom I send you and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now, that's sort of the King James Version. In the NRSV, it's translated, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Now, in the Hebrew, and I'm not an expert on Hebrew, I've studied it, the Hebrew says very clearly here, don't be afraid of their faces. And that's how I heard it many years ago from the pulpit as I was getting commissioned to be an army chaplain. But the NRSV says, don't be afraid of them. And those are two very different things in my mind. I kinda like the translation, don't be afraid of their faces. Because I lived most of my early life afraid of people's faces. I was afraid of authority figures, what they would think of me, how they would perceive me. I wondered if I was good enough, if I had enough smarts and knowledge and abilities to do what I knew I would have to do as an army chaplain in that moment. And I was afraid. I was afraid of people with power, The military is a system in which power is everything. Those in command have absolute authority over the lives that they take care of under them. And I knew that I would be called upon occasionally to speak a very difficult word in situations where I felt like a word needed to be spoken. Jeremiah, of course, has a much bigger challenge ahead of him. He has been called by God to speak a word to the people of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem. He's called to this city to announce its destruction, to say that everything you've been trusting in, all the lucky charms of your life are passing away, that this city will be destroyed, that God's judgment is coming. It's a message that no one wants to hear in the city of Jerusalem. The the people of Jerusalem, the religious leaders, And the political leaders of the day believe that Jerusalem is special, that nothing can happen to Jerusalem, no matter how many enemies come against it, no matter who comes and tries to tear it down, they can't do it. And Jeremiah has been sent by God to say, yes, they can. And yes, they will. He's calling them to come home to the covenant that they have left. They have exploited others for money, They have not kept the covenant with God that God made with them many years before. And they believe that they are untouchable, that nothing bad can happen. And here is young Jeremiah. He's just a boy. He's being sent to tell them this very unpopular message. He will now be the target of their hatred. He will be the target of all their feelings of anxiety about this new change that is coming. He's like the doctor bearing the bad news. He's like the messenger that's bringing the news no one wants to hear. He's like your accountant that says at tax time, this is what you owe. And no one likes to hear those messages. He's going to tell them it's their own fault. In numerous chapters after chapters of his prophecy, he is going to tell them what is going to happen. Very few people will believe him and when they start to believe him, their anger takes, the, takes him and throws him into a pit full of mud and there he languishes, wondering if he'll ever come out alive. Jeremiah witnesses the destruction of Jerusalem with his own eyes. He sees the burning, the pillaging. He sees the death and despair with his own eyes and he too is sent away. He experiences all that his, his people experience. And this is a difficult thing. And I knew that becoming an army chaplain would be a difficult thing for me, but nowhere near as difficult as what Jeremiah went through. Or nowhere near as difficult what Jesus went through in our gospel lesson where he goes to his hometown. He reads in the synagogue and in this account. Everyone loves him. They think he's so great. He reads so well. He's such a good teacher and preacher. And then they're kind of ask him, like, hey, do some of the stuff you did in Capernaum and the other villages. Do these miracles of healing. Do these kinds of things that are gonna make us feel special here. And Jesus tells them that they're not gonna see any of that. He says that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And if you've ever gone away from your hometown for a long time and you've come back, you know this is true. It doesn't matter how many things you've accomplished, you're always going to be that guy that you know, spray-painted the side of that building back in, when you were 16. <laughs> and in this case, he cites two examples of how God has worked in the past outside of the boundaries of the covenant that when there was a drought and a famine for three and a half years in the time of Elijah, none of the widows who were starving in that famine were fed, except for this one widow that was outside the boundaries in Sidon, a Phoenician city on the coast. That was where God decided to show God's grace outside the boundaries of the of the covenant and then elisha he cites, elisha didn't heal any lepers in his own land in fact the only leper he heals is naaman the syrian a syrian general who has persecuted elisha's people for years comes down with leprosy and he comes to elijah elisha begging for healing and he gets it god grants that healing to someone outside the boundaries of the covenant and so jesus is telling his own hometown his own people that god is going elsewhere with God's blessing to the people who really need it, who are outside the covenant. And they get angry and they try to kill him. They try to throw him off a cliff. How angry do you have to be to try to, when you try to throw someone off a cliff? And he passes through their midst, but the anger doesn't stop there. It goes all the way to they end up crucifying him on a cross several years later. The Lord tells Jeremiah, do not be afraid of their faces. God said to Jeremiah the same message and that preacher said it to me many years ago. But I'm still a little afraid of their faces. I'm conditioned to defer to powerful people even when they are on the wrong side of things. One of the facets of being an army chaplain is we're supposed to advise the commander on ethics and morals. Someone that has all the power. Someone that can make your life a living hell. And it's really hard to stand up to that power sometimes in a time of need. It's hard for anyone to do this. This is where that moment of prophetic ministry comes upon a person. It's what got Jeremiah nearly killed and put in a mud pit. It's what got Jesus run off a cliff. And I don't have a lot of stories where I stood up in this way. From my time in the military. I don't have a lot of stories of this. There were a few times I wish I'd stood up thinking about my past, and I wish I'd been a little stronger. I did get to see power up close. Easter Sunday, a couple weeks after I'd gotten back from Iraq, I was just enjoying being back and Got to serve communion to George H.W. Bush and his son, George W. Bush, who was the president at Fort Hood Chapel. Sort of the pinnacle of my career, a high point, if you will. Just came back from Iraq and everything was good. It snowed that Easter at Fort Hood. A lot of snow, about six to eight inches. And we got the chapel already, and there were all these colonels and generals and all these people there. And this is the Episcopal service. There are usually about 12 people there at this service. And there we all were, packed in this little chapel with the whole family down front, nodding politely, and the President shook my hand and thanked me for serving in the Army. It was a big moment for me. I felt really good about things. About a week later, I found out that my marriage was over. I found this out. And I found out that that would mean I'd have to leave the Army eventually. My endorsement as a chaplain would go away. And I, my world turned upside down. I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand what was going on. I felt like those people that lived in Jerusalem who said, nothing bad can happen to me because I've been doing everything right in my own mind, in my own eyes. I felt like those villagers in Nazareth, that I had wanted God to deal with me a certain way, and I demanded things of God And yet this one thing that I thought would never happen to me, happened. It happened to the privates in the army, it happened to the sergeants in the army, happened to the specialists, but it didn't happen to the chaplain. And I was terrified that I couldn't shut off the switches like I had in Iraq when I was scared. I couldn't turn those switches off. I was afraid of every single face I saw. And that fear turned into anger. I had raw, untreated PTSD. I didn't even know where I was or who I was. I felt like I couldn't focus on anything, just trying to stay alive, trying to survive. I felt like I had lost everything, that God had turned God's back on me. And there was nothing I could do to fix my situation, to make it come back together again. I felt like my life was over. One of the symptoms of PTSD is a foreshortened future where you feel like your life's not gonna last much longer. And I was having that in a full dose. I had lost my marriage, my sense of my family. I'd lost a relationship with my kids, I felt. And I was gonna have to leave the army and there was something wrong inside of me. And during this time, a friend I had met in Iraq, another army chaplain, invited me to come to church and I went and I was really alienated from God at that time but I came in and I took communion and I felt something I felt like maybe God still loved me maybe there was still a future for me maybe I was gonna survive this and I felt that love as I held that bread in my hand and as I sipped from the cup And I felt that there in a way I could not feel that in any other place in my life. I realized that the deal I had made with God before Iraq, it wasn't really a deal with God, it was a deal with myself. That maybe my marriage was not God, and maybe my sense of self-importance was not God. But God was there in the destruction of Jerusalem. God was there being kicked out of his hometown and run off a cliff. And there was God hanging on a Roman cross with all of our sin hanging on him. And in those moments, I felt love. I felt like maybe this crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, who had died and was buried and rose again could help me rise again as well. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ is that everything dies. Everything is destroyed and everything is resurrected. And I'm here today because of that gospel message, because of that good news that a church told me, that a church shared with me. We retell the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ here because it changes lives. It's a story of the cross and the empty tomb. And I've been married since then, since those days, and I have a child. And to me, I've experienced resurrection in that small and very large way. Because I was buried in baptism and raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And I don't have to live in fear anymore, and neither do you. You can be confident that Jesus is with you no matter where you are, no matter who has forsaken you, no matter how alone you feel in this world. You can be sure when you take his body and blood at this communion table that he loves you and he is out there waiting for you to welcome you into his kingdom, to open his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross and embrace you. And so that's why I'm here today, because of that love of Jesus Christ shown to me through a church like yours. Amen.